It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. I want to give you all the scoop on how things worked at the Sausage Factory this week (laughs) is that um, we had our pre-show meeting. And actually, this all started, was it yesterday I came in with my, my... Envelope. Envelope, yeah. Um, it was some solicitation I got in the mail, and instead of just wasting that envelope that could have gone in the recycling pail, I decided, hey, I'll wake up at 4.50 in the morning with a racing mind and write down three show topics that I think would be great for everybody to, to look at, and we kind of vet them out and find out how it works. Bo turns my three into really two, and I don't think you liked the other one, so we'll, we'll, we'll table that <laughs> one for a little bit. But what we're going to be sharing today, and I don't know if we're going to title this, I'll give Nikki that discretion. Um, it's either going to be advice and t- tips for success, or it's going to be the keys to success, Some something that, that really kind of grabs you and says, these guys are going to tell me how to be successful today. That's the goal. And, and, and that's what we're going to work on. This is the Money Guy Show. You can check us out, money-guy.com. You can also write the show at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com, or you can contact Bo. Um, my, my trusted cohort sitting across from me here at oh, B.O. You said cohort. That was a little yeah, Freud right yeah. there. A little <laughs> Freud slipped in there. Bo at money-guy.com. Uh, but thank you, and thanks, guys, for all the comments that have been out there on iTunes, and we really appreciate you guys listening. As, as many of you are aware, we actually run a fee-only financial plur- firm. I don't know what a plurm is, but we run a fee-only financial planning firm on the south side of Atlanta, and because of this show, we now have clients all over the country, and um, this thing is dynamic on how it's kind of grown. It really has gone from a dream to where I feel like we are impacting people's lives. So let's jump right in. The, this, this whole topic, it really is one of those things. I came up with at 4.50 in the morning. Um, I have one of those brains that if I don't write it down on a sheet of paper, I won't be able to go back to sleep because it just I, I keep going, do, do you remember that? Are you going to be able to remember that tomorrow? So I, I sit there, and, and once I write it down, I can get it out and, and go back to sleep. But there's countless books that are out there. You know, there's the um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You can even go into The Millionaire Mind. Um, Dr. Stanley has written The Millionaire Next Door as well. And, you know, these type of things are trying to tell you what you can do to have a life, you can have the characteristics of people who have already been where you want to be, and you can hopefully kind of either clone or mimic those behaviors, and you too can have some success. So I figured, you know what? We spend a lot of our working hours working with very successful people. We kind of have our own pipeline into seeing how they have done it and what it takes, what characteristics they have that has made them arrive at this place. And we should be able to share that too. And Bo, you did kind of gut what I had written. You know, you changed some things around because one of the show topics was also how to get you, you know, how to get a new job, you know, how to go interview. And we are going to enter, you know, so this is, this is why I think this show is going to be good. It's going to hit, if we have young listeners or if you have family members who are maybe brand new to the workforce or maybe in college, please tell them about this show today too because I am going to interject my own experience from when I'm hiring new employees or when I was, you know, coming through the ranks of trying to get jobs, things I found to be very effective. But we're also going to equate this to life skills that you can do if you're starting your own company, if you're a manager, or you're a leader within your organization. These things all apply because I think it is very interesting how the the same characteristics 
and, and, and social skills that, that if you can apply these things, they will help you out. So the first one, Bo, did you want to add anything before I started just going right into no, it? No, I think that's a great lead-in. The first one, and this one's going to sound very common sense, but we're going to get a little deeper into it, is number one is long-term view. Now, when I say long-term view, I'm first then going to talk about people who interview for brand new jobs. We've seen this when I've hired people for my firm, Preston and Cleveland. I'm always amazed at sometimes people will come in, you interview, you think you found the right person, and then you, you make an offer, and then you find out they didn't take the offer, and you call them up later and you say, give me some feedback. I need to know why did you do this. And it's the same thing, actually, when we hire clients, right. too. You know, we've, we've sought feedback, and sometimes people will go, well... The other job paid me two or three thousand dollars more. Their offer was two to three thousand dollars higher than where you guys were. Or when we're interviewing clients, so you know, when we have a prospect in, they say, "Well, you guys were 0.2 percent higher than this other advisor I found on the road." I always tell people when you hear that stuff, that's fine, and if if, they, if all the other variables line up too. But you have to have a long-term view. And what I mean by that is like you're a new person that's getting into a career and you're interviewing. If you look at a job that's going to pay you, let's just say, $35,000 out of college versus one that's going to pay you thirty-eight to 40000 but the one that pays you thirty-eight to forty is going to probably cap out at fifty, and probably within five years you're going to be as high as you can go there. That probably is not as good of an opportunity if you take the job that's going to pay you 35, but you could disguise the limit because you're on the ground floor of an organization that is doing incredible things and you have career advancement. There's a lot of very established firms that can afford, and actually their strategy is they can pay more than most other employers because they are an established company. So they can go ahead and lock you in because they're going to pay you more. But then once they get you in the system, you're there. They know that, you know, in this, especially in economies like this, you're probably not going anywhere. So they can just slowly promote you or move you through the system. Whereas a, a dynamic startup or a company that's growing where you're on the ground floor, incredible opportunities. You just have to have the, the, force, the forethought and, and, and the sight to see that this is a long-term decision. But keeping a long-term view doesn't only apply to, uh, to getting a job, right? Definitely not. I mean, the other examples we had kind of talked about Let's talk about buying cars. Bo, I shared with you this morning. We were kind of laughing. I hope I don't offend anybody. I have a snob. I don't know if snob, because that's a negative connotation. But when I'm driving down the road, I do kind of judge people on the cars they drive, not in the way most people think. Not, not in the status or the prestige or how nice of a car it I'm is. I'm not looking. I'm actually the opposite way on that side of it. If I see you driving too nice of a car, I'm like, ooh. They either make $3 million a year or they're horrendous with their money <laughs> because that's the way I am. I mean, if you, to drive a super expensive car, you better have so much liquid capital working for you that this is a drop in the bucket. And you're like Brewster's Million where you're trying to get rid of your money in a certain time frame. But for a lot of other people, and I'm not going to name brands on, on the negative. I might do it on the positive right. side. But like when I see somebody driving what I consider a good value car, meaning a car that is low cost, but and it's got a great reliability history. I'm like that guy's a, a good decision maker with their with their purchasing power. But when I do see some people who buy an economical car, but I know as soon as they drive it off the lot, it's going to depreciate in half. They're probably going to have more mechanical problems than they know what to do with. But it might have a cool grill or something on it. Right. Then I look at those people and go, 
not a good decision maker. I mean, and, and that stuff, and I, and I shouldn't probably feel that way, and I, I don't know if I should be that honest with you, but I can't help but when I get behind people driving a car that I perceive as not a good bang for your buck, I'm always like, I wonder where else their decisions aren't hitting on all cylinders. Um, did I do a good job of explaining that no. so that people don't think I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a snob in the wrong way on that? No, no, you did a great one. I think another, another way that it ties into cars is there is a very, very popular um, financial guru out there whose name I am not going to mention, but this guy's a big deal, and, and he has this philosophy by which if you're getting out of debt and doing these sort of things, it might make more sense for you to go buy a $1,000 jalopy now than buying a two- or three-year-old used car that you can drive for the next 10 years because he's looking at the absolute dollar figure of how much you're spending. That is the most horrendous way to try to hide who you're talking about, <laughs> by the way. Everybody knows who you're talking about. We won't say his name because you've said it that way, but but everybody, and I, I, I know it. Go ahead with your point, though. I'm so, sorry. I just wanted to pick on you. So the, the point being that, yeah, okay, so you can spend $1,000 and save some money right now buying this car, but are you really doing yourself a service if every two years you have to buy another $1,000 car when really you could go buy $10,000, $15,000 used car and drive that for five, six, seven years, are you really doing yourself a service by doing that? So that's looking at it through a very short-term perspective rather than looking at it long-term saying, okay, this is going to be a good financial decision, not just now, but also you know, for the foreseeable future. Well, I don't even think you have to get up to, to 10 to 15. I think you can get very reliable, good economic cars probably once you get into the seven to $8,000 range. I do worry about the beaters that cost a thousand bucks because my biggest fear, guys, I'm not a very handy person, is I don't want to get broken down in the wrong place. Right. And it, right. I mean, I, I, that's my biggest fear with the vehicles. I need it to get me from point A to point B. If it's going to somehow drop between A, B so, and not get me to my location, I don't care if it only costs me a thousand, that, that's going to be a problem right. for me. But I think that the entry point probably is a little lower. Than 10 to 15,000. But other things on long term view before we move on to point two was major life decisions. You know, th this is the thing I was talking about with having a long term view starting a business. I'm always amazed when people find out that I have, you know, several companies that I've started. They say, How did you do it? And I said, Well, we'll tell you, I did it. I had the, the vision to recognize it'd probably be cool to, and better to do these things before I had children. So I actually, my wife and I had the discussion and I started my first business before I had children because I had the thought that I was taking the long-term view that if this failed, we'd be okay. I, you know, we could start over and it would maybe be a lower lifestyle because we would be starting from ground zero um, a few years into it because this endeavor didn't work out. But with children, it was going to be more stress, I felt like. And plus, you know, to do everything you need to do on the home front with, you know, taking care of your kids, making sure you're the right, you know, supportive parent. I didn't know if I could do the time once I became a parent because right. it, being a parent is a big endeavor. So endeavor. So life decisions, and that rolls right into having children. Bo, you mentioned in the planning stages is that, you know, sometimes you, you might have to wait a year or two until you get more established before you make decisions like that. Or maybe you're, when you're buying a house, instead of maxing it out and getting the most house that you can get, you look at where am I going to be in five years? If I'm not going to be living in this neighborhood or this area because maybe I'm going to get transferred, maybe you should make a completely different financial decision. Yep. So have a long-term view with your thought process. Number two, this is a big one, especially for my successful people out there like doctors. 
watch out for traps. Oh, that's a good one. Now, when I say watch out for traps, let me first talk to my young people who are doing job interviews. I will go ahead and tell you, and I'm going to ruin this for anybody who might interview with me in the future years, because uh, I'm going to give you one of my secrets. One of my secrets for job interviews, and I learned this not because I'm creative, but because it happened to me. The first is watch out for off-topic suggestions. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, when I was at my very first interview at the University of Georgia, they used to bring in employers to let you start interviewing. And my very first, I can't even remember which company it was with, but the guy, he somehow made an off-comment mark remark about how attractive the girls were up at University of Georgia. I proceeded to spend the next 30 minutes, we talked about how pretty the girls were at the University of Georgia. <laughs> he never got to hear how great I would be for his company or how good it was because I totally followed him down that rabbit hole of an off-topic suggestion. Don't do that. If right. you're interviewing for jobs, if you're doing anything, I mean, if you're trying to get new clients, maybe you're in a sales position, you're driving around and listening to us, you know you're in there with one purpose. Mm -hmm. To get that job done. If it's to get a job, it's to get that. That's your, that's your point. That's, that's what success is. If it's to get a new client, that's your point of success. Know where your point of success is and don't get off topic. Um, I don't know if that guy was using it as a ploy, but I think he was. Right, I, mean, right. I really do think that was to see, is this guy on point with his thought process? The other, the other thing, be careful when you're in interviews or doing anything. Don't let everybody know you have a plan to conquer and master the world. Because that's not going to get you a job. And what I mean by that is I ask a question, and everybody asks this question when you're interviewing, where do you think you're going to be in five years? Now, this is a trick question, guys. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. When somebody asks you what you're going to be doing in the next five to seven years, they first they want to get a thought for how driven is this person. But they also want to see where do they, do they see themselves with this organization that they're interviewing with? And I'm always amazed when I talk to students or potential hires, and they tell me, I want to you know, kind of learn everything I can in the next few years, and then I'm hopefully in you know, the next few five to seven years, I'm going to start my own firm. <laughs> well, like I said, don't tell people your plan to conquer the world, because the last thing I want to do is train you to be a monster of industry and then know you're going to go open up a shop right across the street from me. That's not, so be very careful. Be honest. I hope that doesn't come out that way, but just, you know, understand that and be careful of the traps. So that's the interview. Let me talk to you about financial traps. Bo, you were sharing with me in pre-planning that we got an email from somebody who was thinking about a second home for supposedly a financial reason. Yeah, so so and we and full disclosure, I haven't done a ton of research on this yet. We're kind of in the process, but essentially, you know, the way that student aid is calculated, they look at your net worth and your current assets. Well, the the rumor has it that real estate gets weighted more, uh, gets weighted less heavily in the student aid calculation than liquid assets. So this listener wrote and he essentially said, you know. Does it make sense if right before your child enters into college, you know, in their high school years, to go ahead and buy a vacation home so you invest in that real estate rather than doing the liquid assets? And that's, I don't know that that's the best financial decision. The reason that might be a trap is, is that, which, is that what is going to really help you reach your long-term financial goals? Or is that just an excuse to help you get that vacation home? Sounds like justification. Exactly. And, exactly. and, and if you, the other thing, I'll, t I'll go ahead and tell you, I fell in this trap, so learn from me from tripping over this bear trap. Vacation homes, I, I have a, a place down in, in Florida, a vacation condo that I rent with several other CPAs and other people on this deal that was incredible, the deal of deals, 
because we were getting a three bedroom place for the cost of one bedroom places back in 2006. Right. Wow, what a great time that yeah. was. Well, I now still own this condo and I hate it in the fact that every quarter I have to write a big check that goes to this thing because it was supposedly going to be a business investment that we're going to rent this thing out, this beach condo. And we do rent it out. It stays rented. I don't get to use it. I'll tell you that because it's always being rented. But it doesn't generate enough to pay for itself. So it is this big suck of resources. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap. And I would encourage you, you know, if you read The Millionaire Next Door, if you read, you know, some of Dr. Stanley's books on talking about the thought process of millionaires, you'll see that a lot of times that second home is not, it's, it's an oasis, meaning that it's not as good as it looks on paper because you're, you're, you're tying yourself down to the same vacation spot every year and then your overhead is tremendous. So I always tell people be very careful when you're looking at those second homes. What about the what about the financial trap with a first home or maybe a, a, the a, the, vehi- the family vehicle? Yeah, it's the same way. I mean, is I always tell people, especially like on vehicles, if you can't pay the car off within three years, don't do it. I, I was shocked. I you know I'm in a, a small group study at my church, and we have um you know several couples that get together, and I found out that one of the the new couples there. He works for a Cadillac dealership, and I asked him, because I'd been hearing that they, you know, five years used to be the longest you could get a car loan. Well, I've heard a few years back they went to six-year loans. They've actually gone to seven-year loans Holy now, cow. and that's where, I mean, people are financing seventy dollars and $80,000 on these cars, and I just can't imagine that. And if, if you're trying to buy, if you are buying a vehicle, you know, a good rule of thumb is if you can't have it paid off within three years, You'll never own that vehicle because you're always going to be underwater. It's always going to be trouble. So don't do it. It's the same thing with houses. You know, really, I I hate it when I hear people are house rich but life poor. And what I mean by that is they go stretch their lifestyle out so much so they can get this big honking house. And then meanwhile, they they don't have enough money to go put furniture in it or go on vacations, enjoy life, spend time with the family, create the memories. Don't do it. You know, a good rule of thumb, I would like to keep housing you know, you hear all kind of things, but for me, I like keeping it 25, 30% for everything. I'm right. talking about maintenance, utilities. You want that to not be half of your life. And that's where I think some people really push that number up. The other things on watching out for traps, risk capacity. Oh, yeah. Um, this is something for my older listeners. Be very careful about risk capacity. You could be have a risk tolerance that's through the roof. Maybe you started several endeavors and businesses, and they've done very well for you. And now you're getting into your 50s and 60s, and you're just a cowboy. You like taking the risk. You like seeing the money you can make by taking stretching that risk profile out. But here's the thing. As you get older, you don't have as much time to recover. And that concept is risk capacity. And I will tell you, we... You know, I have a partner, and then we have peer groups that we share with. And I had a story told to me um, a few weeks back with a, uh, an elderly couple that was in their 70s, had a, a multi-seven-figure portfolio that was doing an incredible job. of. They had plenty of money to pay for their lifestyle, um, very reasonable withdrawal rate, um, between 4 and 5%. It was, everything was working. They had an advisor who obviously didn't understand risk tolerance or risk capacity because within a year – the assets actually went down by over 50%. I'm not so sure they don't have a case in, in the matter, but still nonetheless, they now have to have a discussion on how they have to alter their lifestyle. Right. Why? There was no reason for it. If they, they took into account, they, they won. And that, that, that's the, leaving the, the last point before we move on to number three 
is don't ruin a fail-proof plan. And that's what somebody who has that much level of that that level of assets, you've kind of won the game. You have to try to screw it up to not be okay. And I see that all the time. No offense. I hope I don't offend any of you doctors out there in the audience who are listening. Because maybe you're the, you probably are the exception because you're listening to a financial podcast and a, a financial radio show, but doctors are the world's worst because they they're easy targets. Everybody knows, you know, once you make it through your residency, you're probably making a pretty good living if you if you have that DR in front of your name. Uh, the problem is is that you also have the potential with that high income that you could just set up an automatic pilot investment plan that will reach all your goals. It will pay down your student loan debt. It will allow you to live a very comfortable lifestyle, but also save that money for the future so that you can choose if you don't even have to choose to quit working, but you at least have the financial independence to do what you want to do in life. But doctors, they're such easy targets because people know they make good livings. I see all kind of crazy private placement deals, real estate ventures, and these guys, they fall for it hook, line, and sinker. It's that whole get-rich-quick type type mentality. So watch out for the traps. That's life traps, financial traps, and then even when you're, you're a young person going out to get your first job. Number three, know your passion and know what makes you happy. This is so overused. It's almost as used, I almost overuse this when I'm talking in personal discussions as I use Warren Buffett quotes, but I still think it's worth saying. If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And, and I will tell you, I do not have any regret or dread every Sunday afternoon when I'm coming to work. I don't chew my fingernails or worry about coming to work because of that. And that, I think that's an important thing is if you can figure out what your passion is. If you know what makes you happy and what makes you tick, people often, I think, get confused and they think money's going to make them happy. What I try to always let them realize is that money is something that kind of shows up when you do what you're really good at and you have a passion for and you have an aptitude and a skill set that is above and beyond. I know that sounds kind of silly and voodoo-ish to say it like that, but it really is true. I mean, there's something about if you're doing what you love, things just seem to happen. Um, I, I also think it will help you if you know where you are in life and what you're good at. It's going to help you balance that 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 desire to know if the grass is greener out there. Right. Um, I see that in life with relationships with husbands and wives, as well as with getting a new job. It, you know, or, or thinking you know, maybe I need to go do something else because I could go make more money over there. If you know what makes you happy, and you and you know where your passion is. I think it can help you balance some of those those human desires that, that sometimes get us in trouble. And then it'll also help you figure out if you know you're a really good critical thinker, meaning that you want somebody to give you, you know, some variables and then you figure out an answer, that's going to be different from somebody who's maybe a great manager or data type person who's good at kind of just organizing things. So you have to figure out because that's what's going to help you with your success with your, your place at work too. Bo, anything else you want to add on the on the on the passion or, or workplace? No, I think you're dead on. If if you love if you love what you're doing, that's half half the battle. Um, you know, because we we talk about financial independence, but part of financial independence is getting to it. You know, getting there. And if you're doing what you love, it makes that journey a whole whole lot more enjoyable. Now, number four, I will tell you, Bo, you've helped me out tremendously with this this key characteristic of success. If you know you want something, be persistent. 
guys, I know I've shared with y'all, Bo basically talked himself into this job. <laughs> I was all set. Oh, sorry about that. I was all set to hire one of my one of my customers' daughters to come work here because she had a marketing background and I hate selling stuff. I'm not very good at that side of it. So I thought that's exactly what I needed after I'd interviewed about 15 people. I'd interviewed Bo, Bo I called you Boo. I'd interviewed Bo and um, he did great, great at the interview process, but I just couldn't make a decision because it was also my, I'd had multiple hires on the administrative side, but this was my first going and recruiting at a college and where you have to pay benefits, where you have to pay a good salary. I was scared to death. Well, guess what? Bo was persistent. He called me up and really did talk me into hiring him. And I've learned, you know, the thing I've learned from you, Bo, and I know you didn't come up with it, but you're very good at reminding me of it, is you say the second best answer you can get is no. That, that applies to, to just about anything. I mean, even, you know, when you're, when you're, in a, when you're dating, okay, you ask somebody if they want to go to the movies, second best answer you can get is no. And when you look at it with that mentality, how bad is that really? If you're trying to get customers, get clients, hey, buy my product, hey, use my service, all they can say to you is no. That's it. And, and I've, I've learned, and, you know, and I'll tell you, we've changed our entire customer, um, you know, the prospect, the way we do the process now with getting new clients we do follow up. I used to, I will tell you guys, when I started this, I've always loved what I do for a living. But the, I, I remember when I used to have a prospect meeting where somebody accidentally would stumble across my name and, and decide to come interview with us um, to see if we were going to be a good financial advisor for them. I can remember after the meeting, I would just kind of cross my fingers and say a little prayer and say, I hope they come back and see me. I hope they sign that contract and I'll hear from them. And that was it. And if I didn't hear from them, guess what? Oh, well, I guess it just didn't work out. I have found, and Bo, I will give you some credit for this, learning that the second best answer is no. I now follow up with people when they contact us. And what I found, found out is they didn't dislike me sometimes. They actually got busy with life. Right. And they got other things going on, and they just didn't make any decision. So then I found out people need you to be persistent so that you can accomplish your goals. So that's why I tell people, I'll also share just staying on the job discussion side of things before we move on to the next point. I actually got my first job by being persistent too. I had a, you know, I will tell you guys, I had good grades in college, but I was not what I call a front row sitter. Now, somehow Bo had great grades and he's got good social skills. I always said I was much better at the social skills than I was at the textbook. So my, my grades, I did, have, I, I had a 3.1. Maybe I don't know if I should have said that out loud, but I had a, I graduated with a 3.1 GPA from UGA. Bo got all the summa cumos and all the other stuff that they give you when you study too much. But um, <laughs> I always prodded myself that I, if I, I just needed an opportunity because I knew I was, I was smart enough to understand concepts, but I also had some social you know, ability that could work with, within industries. And so I had my first interview, and I found out that, that the, the gentleman who was on cam campus for the CPA firm he, he knew where I was from, you know, because it was a small town in Georgia, and he actually had one client that he knew from my small towns. He said, do you know this gentleman? And I said, well, of course. I mean, I'm from a small community. I know that gentleman. He's a scoutmaster. He was my scoutmaster when I was in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts growing up. And so he, he said, well, he's one of our clients. So I had that interview. Well, they, inv they interviewed a gazillion of us, and they brought it down to about 12 people, and they were going to hire two people from the University of Georgia. So they invited 12 of us back to actually come to their 
office location. The first interview was at the university. The second one was going to be at their location. They were going to take us around all these batteries of interviews. Well, guess what? Between that week to week and a half period that they brought us to their office, I actually drove home and went and talked to that client of his who owned a hardware store here in my local community and said, hey, tell me about that firm, you know, because I, I interviewed with them. I need to know a little bit about them. Tell me about that partner that I was interviewing with. Tell me about what you know about all the rest of them. Well, when I got into the interview where they brought the 12 of us in, I found ways to let them know during the interview process that, hey, not only are y'all trying to figure out if you like me, I tried to figure out if I liked you guys by going above and beyond and actually interviewing one of your customers to see what they liked about you or, or what the experience was. And, you know, they don't tell you if you got the job for a certain reason when you get, but probably two years later, I had the partner, one of the partners, I said, what, why did y'all hire me? Because I knew the people we, that were part of that 12. Right. They took what, one of the people they hired was the front row sitter, great grades. I still, I mean, she was always very bright. And they hired me, and I got to skip over a lot of the kids that had a lot better grades than I did in college. And he says, because you really surprised us that you went above and beyond. You made us feel like that you were interviewing us, and we weren't just interviewing you. And, Bo, that's what you did with me, too. And that's why I'm telling you guys, this is not just with getting jobs. This is getting customers. This is getting anything in life. Be persistent. If you want something, call and ask for it. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds, and it's hard because you have to fight that insecurity every one of us has. I'm an insecure guy on, on certain things. Um, you don't have that barrier, Bo, and, and I, I've learned a lot from that, and I want to tell everybody else who's listening, fight that insecu inner insecurity and go after what you want, and you'll be shocked when you go, wow, that, that wasn't so bad. And you can actually change that habit and that behavior for yourself for the better. So anything else since you're kind of the king of not being scared of asking people things? No, no, Brian, I think that that's, um, I think that's dead on. And that's actually, I think that leads right into the next point. What's the, what's the next one you have on the list? The next one, I think it does transition well. Is it's be willing to put in the work. And what do I mean by be willing to put in the, the work is... Bo, you, you've told me, you've, you, now it's kind of a meathead quote, but I have figured out more and more places that this quote fits. Tell me about your meathead quote that so, you're always telling me. There's a, there's a famous bodybuilder, uh, his name, he's, well, I don't want to say his name, but he's just a famous bodybuilder, and he has this wonderful quote, and we always talk about this in the weight room and stuff, because I go to the gym every now and then, and he <laughs> says, uh, what he says is, everybody wants to be strong, but don't nobody want to lift no heavy weight, and I think that is perfect. Everybody wants to be big and strong, but nobody wants to go that extra mile and lift the heavy weight to get to where they want to be. And it kind of works with everything in life. Because, I, you know, I hear people all the time say, you know, these people make all this money. They must be lucky. They must have, but they don't ever, you know, kind of really take the microscope to, to dig down below the, the, to see what really happened to get somebody there. You know, it's the same way. Everybody wants to be financially independent, but nobody wants to start saving money when they're 22 years of age. Mm -hmm. You know, they all wait until they're 50 and then they go, wait a minute, why don't I have a million dollars in the bank? And it's because they weren't willing to lift the heavy weight yep. or, or of making those hard decisions when they're younger. That deferred gratification, the marshmallow test that we've talked about in the previous podcasts being able to make that long-term decision. Well, I want to give you the example. I had somebody approach me a few years ago, wanted to get into the financial industry. And they, they basically said they've been serving in the military. They've been helping out and doing a lot of good things, serving overseas in one of these, these, these war areas that we're in right, right now. Right. And he had a GI Bill 
that was going to allow him to go back to school. Now, he already had a college degree, um, but I, I said, this is what I would do if I was in your shoes. I said, you need to go learn the ropes. You need to put in the work to learn how things work so you can be very effective for people in the financial industry. Because I can tell you have a passion for it. I can tell you really do want to get into the financial field, but we need to help you crawl before you can walk and then before you can run. So I suggested go back to school, go to Georgia State, get a master's in financial planning and investment work because they offer that. That was one of the few places that the few years back that offered a, a degree in financial planning. And I said, I know you're getting older. You feel like you're not a spring chicken anymore. You're not in your early 20s, but that's okay because you're going to be able to go learn how the industry works and then go work at a fee-only firm. Go work at a firm and work for them for three to five years to figure out how things are. And then you're going to be able to write your own ticket because you're going to know how the industry works. You're going to have this great skill set. You have a great life you know, history that you can share with people with your service in the military. You're going to be as big as you want to be at that point. He looked at me and said, I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go work for somebody else. So he went and started interviewing with the wirehouses. Want to go work for one of the, the places that, that teaches you instead of how to do, you know, n- nothing against these guys, but I'm going to tell you, I've worked on that, that commission side myself before I worked at a, another type of firm where the, instead of teaching you how to manage money and how to do estate planning and how to be very wise towards taxes, some of these places are very much a sales focus only. Right. And the thing is, he went to one of these training programs where they give you a a small salary of $25,000, but then they put you through this battery of all this sales training, and then they throw you out there. It's basically like taking you over a pond, dropping you out in the middle of it and saying, good luck. Don't know if you can swim or not, but we're going to see if you can. You know, and if you naturally can swim, you'll make it. So he, he started, you know, calling his friends, calling his family. I knew he was in trouble. And this is kind of like my college roommate that did the same thing. When they start calling me and he goes, Brian, I know you have minimums. Why don't you send these people my way? <laughs> you know, because they don't qualify. And I, and I was like, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what I told him, but I, I knew I couldn't do it because I feel a heavy weight of making sure people end up at the right place financially. And so he, he got chewed up, spit out, and never made it in the right. financial field. And this is a guy who had a passion for it. And I could tell he probably would have been a great financial person, but he didn't want to lift the heavy weight. And that's, that's so many things in life are the same way. So I tell you guys, if you know you have a goal, be prepared to lift the heavy weight. Do it. Make a plan that actually works. And that kind of tra- transitions into number six. The last point we're going to close this thing out with is traveling the road less traveled. I mean, I guess we could have probably brought those two together because right. they're very similar. Is be willing to put in the work and also be willing to go the, the road less traveled is that you're going to have dreams. You're going to have thoughts. Be prepared put, to put together a plan that makes, makes that dream a success. Um, so many people start restaurants, start businesses, and then it washes out in 18 months, and they go, what happened? Well, they didn't plan for the worst-case scenario in the first place. I told you guys when I started my very first company, I saved up between forty-two dollars to $45,000 so I'd have enough cash to cover my lifestyle for two to three years while I was trying to grow the business. I think most people skip that step. Right. That, that's the problem. And is also, know there's going to be doubters. There's going to be people that tell you, you can't do that. I had in-laws tell me I was crazy to be leaving a good-paying job to start my own company. There's going to be obstacles. When I started this podcast, I found this out later, people thought I was nuts. 
I had people in the industry saying, aren't you, are you crazy? You're giving away how you do business. And I had other people going, what are you doing wasting all that time doing that podcast? Right. You know, I, I didn't even know my wife went around to all my friends and said, don't pick on Brian about this. You know how he is. He comes up with these crazy ideas and somehow they work out. That's my wife was telling people. So it's good to be a dreamer, but have a plan with that dreamer. Be prepared to work hard, put in the work, as I talked about in step number five, and you can overcome those obstacles. And that's what's going to help you. And I will tell you, I told you already earlier, money doesn't make you happy. I will tell you, if you talk to anybody who's done something and gone the road less traveled, that, and they might very well be rich because the fruit or the side effect of going that road less travel was they ended up having money. But if you really want to know what gets them excited, talk to them about their industry awards. Talk to them about the days when they started their company. Because what they know is they've got fulfillment now because they did something. They can still remember how it was when they started this thing from the early mustard seed level. Mm -hmm. And now it's grown into this thing that they, they feel a sense of accomplishment about it. That's what gives you happiness is that, that sense of accomplishment. So I'm going to close things out here. We've gone pretty long. Um, St. Patrick's Day is this weekend, so make sure you know you wear your green. Um, have an enjoyable weekend. Hopefully I saw the entire country pretty much because of the way jet stream is right now is a lot warmer than it's supposed to be. Get out there and get you some vitamin D. Enjoy the weather. And enjoy this. And then also take time to, to kind of appreciate we've got a lot of good stuff going on. I know we had a team-building um, event last week that we'll right. hopefully go share some Facebook pictures of we ran a 5K, a St. Patrick's Day 5K. Oof. <laughs> I came in last, by the way, guys, of all the, the team. My wife was, you know, was, well, actually, one of your fiancé's friends came in first. Right. My wife was right after that. You guys, very respectable time. And then after I finished, after I finally started running again, like I ran, here's the way the, the 5K went, guys. So if you want to go to Facebook and check these pictures out after Monday, is that I ran until we got to the point where I thought I was going to see you guys because we reached a halfway and then it kind of doubled back. Right. So I ran what I thought was two and a half miles, but I passed the one mile mark and I was like, ooh, okay. So I started walking there at the one mile mark. And then when I saw that people were running back the other way, I started running again. So when y'all saw me, you'd be like, I'm still running. still going. (laughs) So I started running there. And then the last time I started running was when I first had a husband and wife pushing a stroller. They blew by me. Then this six-year-old girl, daughter, you know, who's younger than my daughter, blew by me. And then I had this 72-year-old man blow by me. But then the wife of one of my best friends ran by me and I was like, uh-uh, I, I can't, I mean, she does, I don't, like my wife is a runner, I don't ever try to keep up with her, but I felt like I could keep up with this friend's wife, so that's when I did hit my stride and took off, and I think it looked like, I mean, I finished that thing like I was oh, yeah. Carl Lewis, you I mean, sure I was did. huffing and puffing and running, but truthfully, I'd only run for 0.1 miles, <laughs> but, um, hey, how about, how about Nikki placing in her, in her age That group? is true, Nikki walked away with a St. Patrick medal. It's kind of incredible. It was we had a good time, but check those out on Facebook. And guys, thank you for letting us share the things that we think are success. That's our take, our, our on the pipeline of what's going to hopefully make you more successful. And then feel free to check us out, money-guy.com. I'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. 
Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.